afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's Meet the Artist interview. My name is Cecilia Beam. I'm the HR Manager and Adult Education Coordinator at San Francisco Ballet. The Meet the Artist programs, along with the Points of View lectures, which are held on Wednesdays, are produced by the Center for Dance Education at San Francisco Ballet. Many of our interviews, as well as those Points of View lectures, are podcasted on our website, sfballet.org. And so I'd like to welcome both everyone who's here today, as well as our podcast listeners. And I'd like to um, welcome you and say that today is Sunday, March 24th. We are here at the San Francisco War Memorial Opera House. Oh, did I get the date wrong? Thank you. Oh, thank you. March 21st, 2010. And we are at the San Francisco War Memorial Opera House. So I am very, very pleased today to introduce you to Hamburg's ballet master and guest artist here at San Francisco Ballet, Mr. Lloyd Riggins. Afternoon. Uh, Mr. Riggins Lloyd is uh, appearing as the poet uh, in the Little Mermaid production, uh, the premiere here in the United States. And it also came to stage the production. So a very knowledgeable guest we have here today on this um, Sunday afternoon. And so I'd like to start with a little bit uh, so that we know a little bit more about you, Lloyd, and that uh, you're an American and born in New York and trained in Florida. And, but um, your career has brought you to Europe, where you've spent the majority of your career. Yes, when I was uh, 16... My mother had a small ballet company in Orlando, Florida, which today is called Orlando Ballet. And I was sent in the summertime to a Bournonville workshop. Uh, we didn't have a lot of outside influences in Florida, so I went very often in the summertime to explore different styles and different uh, teachers. And so I went to the Bournonville workshop in Midland, Michigan, and the teachers there from Denmark saw that I had a certain affinity for the Bournonville style and asked if I might like to come back to Denmark to study some more. And, um, of course, my mother, as a director, was a little bit unhappy to let me go. But as a mother, she knew that in Florida the, the possibilities were quite limited for dance. Uh, and uh, so she kicked me out of the nest, so to say. And I soon got a contract with the Royal Danish Ballet uh, when I was 17 and uh, started my career there. And when I was 19, I was permitted, promoted principal. And when uh, I was in the Royal Danish Ballet is uh, when I met John Neumeyer for the first time. He staged many works, uh, had a close relationship with the Royal Danish Ballet for many years and many productions, and we worked together there. And when the time came to think about changing venues, let's say, uh, from the Danish Ballet, I... My wife and I, uh, we traveled to Hamburg to join the Hamburg Ballet in 95 and then uh, have been there ever since. And now we're both uh, started becoming ballet masters and teachers. So you've been with the Hamburg Ballet since 1995 and um, you have at least three roles there. Tell us yeah. about each one of those roles that you serve at the ballet. Um, when I uh, became 30, I started feeling like I wanted to uh, expand my creative outlet and that meant I, I started to think about teaching. I come from a ballet family, a kind of circus performing family and um, all of my brothers and sisters are dancers and my mother and my brother are teachers and so teaching became a passion of mine and um, so I am uh, 
a principal dancer with the company in Hamburg, and as well as a ballet master full-time. And I teach a little bit in the school with all the extra little time I have. I, I teach a variation class for the boys in the school, and I have two children at home, so <laughs> I have a nice full plate. Busy life. Um, tell us a little more specifically what the ballet master's role is um, at the Hamburg Ballet. We are used as a bridge because we have the advantage of living in a, in a company where the, the source of the work is living. He's a creative entity that is still there, and the ballet masters are used as a bridge between him and the dancers to keep the communications flowing. He, he uses the dancers uh, when he works, uh, Mr. Neumeyer, he, he uses the dancers, he always says that they have uh, like colors on a painter, we're a, a living resource of his, and he he takes a lot of inf- inspiration from each individual dancer with each of their their uh, uh, gifts and each of their interpretations. He will improvise a step, listen to the music, and improvise a step or a situation, and then sit back and and see what the dancer does with that also. And it becomes a very uh, a very wonderful give and take between the artist and the choreographer. And the ballet master's job, I feel is basically not to get in the way too much, but to be able, when Mr. Neumeyer isn't there or there's a new dancer who needs to learn the things, to be able to recreate that atmosphere so that uh, the information is given not as just you do this here, but the why, which I think is the one of the unique qualities of the Hamburg Ballet is that everything is infused with a meaning, with a, a reason. There is no step for the sake of a step. There's an idea, and everything is, is in the purpose, is, is, is for the goal of creating that idea, communicating, actually, to you. Very much the vision of John Newmar's work. And, Completely, yeah. And um, what's the repertory of that company? Well, when I first joined the company, I was maybe concerned about working with, coming from a, a sort of, say, typical classical ballet company where we have the... You have the classics and you have the eclectic mix of, you know, contemporary dance, uh, historical dance, uh, great choreographers, new choreographers, um, going to a company where there was basically one choreographer. But the wonderful thing with Mr. Neumeyer is every ballet that he does has a style of its own. It's not his style. He feels that when, when you're dealing with a text, when you're dealing with a subject matter, each each of those ideas will have its own language. And he's, he, his struggle is to find that language uh, in the studio with the dancers to, to discover how, how does it sound, how does it look, how does it feel, this piece. You'll see with the, with the mermaid, it has a very distinct style. And so uh, it's as if for a dancer being in the Hamburg Ballet with only one choreographer, but you feel like you're, you're dancing many choreographers' work because the, the style for each piece is so different. Very classical, very contemporary, barefoot, soft shoes, point shoes, tutus. Uh, it, we have everything really in there. So, How big is the company? How many dancers are in the Hamburg Ballet? We have uh, 55 dancers. Um, John's concept is to have a big, small company and a small, big company. We have, I would say... Seeing a, a few American companies now, we have a relatively small staff, 
and we don't have a real hierarchy system. Our principals sometimes will dance in the group. Our soloists definitely dance in the group and sometimes do leading roles. Some young dancers from the, the corps de ballet are sometimes dancing leading roles, depending on how it is, as if we were a small company, an ensemble, and this feeling is, is, uh, is nurtured, kind of. And, um, yeah, so... We'll talk more in a minute about your coming to stage, um, uh, being part of the staging process for The Little Mermaid, but um, you've had a chance now to work uh, here at San Francisco Ballet. What are uh, the differences or similarities between working in Europe and in the United States or at San Francisco? I must say, first, uh, working in San Francisco, I am very, uh, very pleased. The company, I, I hope you all realize how amazing the company is here because uh, they have their openness, their openness to the style, their openness to the newness of it all, their openness to John, um, has, has just paved the way for this wonderful production you're going to see today. And it's a credit to the company and a credit to the dancers and the artists here that uh, there is no resistance. They are absolutely uh, open artists, and uh, it's been wonderful to work here. I felt very much at home, actually, as I've been dancing the role in Hamburg many years. As I danced it here last night, I felt almost the same feeling with the energy around me. Um, the technical staff is also unbelievable. You'll see that it's a very intricate production, a very grand, epic production. Lots of scenery changes and, and technically very difficult, I think. And uh, you don't notice the difficulty. The, 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 uh, the staff in the back are just... Also quite incredible. I think if I would talk about European as a, a, um, compared to American, I haven't worked so much, let's say, in America. Um, I do know that when I went as a very young man to Europe, I understood immediately that I was entering um, a place where the history is just much older. Not that one is better or, or worse, but it's the difference really is that uh, in Europe, the uh, traditions have just been around longer, uh, you know, and you have many of the uh, original places where things were originated from, and that creates sometimes good, sometimes not so good, the atmosphere with which people watch the ballet. And um, I, it, as a young man, it gave me a sense of responsibility that especially I went to the Royal Danish Ballet, which is 200 years old theater. August Bornenville was from 1850s, and we were still doing those ballets, and you feel this weight of the tradition when you have to carry the ballet. You feel that a little bit on your shoulders, which you can sort of, it can crush you, or it can give you a sort of inspiration to, to think, okay, I have to, I have to make, make it work somehow. I have to, I'm responsible for holding, holding this, very delicate, you know, plate up and passing it on. Now, the th beautiful thing I think about teaching is you get to pass that plate on and uh, coming to San Francisco and, and passing this plate of the Little Mermaid on to the dancers here has been such a rewarding experience and the way that they're taking it and wanting more. And this is, uh, for me, a very Mer American uh, sensibility the, okay, that's good, and how much more can we squeeze out of it, which is a wonderful creative thing. It's, they're not recreating The Little Mermaid here. They've created their own, 
which is a beautiful thing to, to see. They've made the piece their own. This is San Francisco Ballet's John Neumeyer's Little Mermaid. So, so now, um, Lloyd, you've uh, danced the role of the poet um, here, and previously you've danced the role of the poet um, in prior productions. Um, now, I understand that this uh, production is like kind of the third wave of The Little Mermaid. Can you give us a little history of the other productions? In 2005, John was uh, sort of commissioned by the Danish Ballet for... There were two events. The, the Royal Theatre was given the gift of a new opera house in Copenhagen, and for the opening of this opera house... Uh, the Little Mermaid was commissioned. While at the same time, it was the I think it was the 200th anniversary of Hans Christian Andersen's birth. So, of course, in Denmark, this was a, a big day. And uh, so, um, actually, the Little Mermaid seeds of the ideas were done by John in a ballet called Undine, which is another kind of mermaid-themed story, many years ago in Hamburg. And uh, he took some of those seeds, I think, to begin the work on The Little Mermaid in Copenhagen. And then after the premiere in Copenhagen, uh, we, he staged the ballet in Hamburg. And um, as far as the poet goes, or even the ballet in general, um, the wonderful thing about a living choreographer is they're never satisfied with what is there. It's always a matter of what can be better, how can we uh, be more clear, how can we communicate more clear this idea and this part of the story and this feeling of the character and um, as far as the poet in Copenhagen the first ballet Undine had no poet because it was wasn't anything to do with Anderson Hans Christian Anderson in uh, the Copenhagen version the poet was danced by a, a, a true character dancer in the company an older dancer who was a great mature artist but wasn't dancing so much anymore and when he came to Hamburg the, the role was t- given to me and I was still in the middle of my dancing career. And um, as we work in Hamburg, the, the dancers are almost encouraged to uh, state an idea or an inspiration that they might have while doing the steps in the studio. And at one point, I mentioned to John that I felt that the, the, what he had been explaining to me about the Anderson role being the creator of the piece and showing the parallels of his real life with the story... It wasn't happening because the dancer, the, the poet, was actually more of a character in the ballet. And uh, having mentioned that to him, he started working on the poet in a different way, putting him more, you'll see this proscenium, more on the proscenium and less inside dancing the same steps as the characters. And, um, and so the role developed in that way and continues to develop. And even the version that you'll see today here in San Francisco uh, hasn't been done before. There are new changes constantly. I'm sure after he watches the performance today, he may go backstage and say to some dancers, oh, don't do that, do this, do this a little better, move over here. It's a constantly evolving work. It's a very organic process. It's like a, a tree that grows. And one branch starts to go this way, and he sees that maybe, you know, we need a little trim here, and it will send the tree that way, you know. And, and um, yeah. If you're just joining us, we're in conversation uh, with ballet master from the Hamburg Ballet and guest artist Lloyd Riggins. You'll have some uh, time at the end uh, to ask your questions. Um, Let's talk a little bit about staging the work. Um, You came last fall, was it? Uh, Summertime, actually. Summertime, okay. 
And um, so you arrived, were you by yourself initially or no, with John? No, we uh, John came, uh, Kevin Hagen, who was a, a, quite a famous dancer with the Hamburg Ballet, uh, who's a ballet master and teacher in the school now, and Leslie Macbeth and my wife, Nierka Moreto. We all came uh, simultaneously, basically, uh, for a four-week period to stage our different things that we're in charge of in, in Hamburg also. And... Um, yeah, very intense work. By the end of four weeks, the company was able to do two run-throughs with two different casts. It's quite an amazing feat. It's a very long ballet, and and uh, they I, that was also another sort of American quality, I must say, this learning quickly so that you can get to the meat of the work. And um, so uh, by the end of the four weeks, they were able to do run-throughs. And to the credit of the ballet master staff, here in San Francisco. John came to San Francisco two weeks ago, and I came about a week ago to work with the company for the last preparation. But from the summertime, they hadn't worked on the ballet, and, and the, the ballet masters from San Francisco restaged the ballet and uh, did a fantastic job, I must say, for a, a, a piece which is not their, their home style, let's say. And uh, it was quite impressive to come into it was as if I'd, the six months since the summer hadn't happened and we just the work had just continued from there. Uh, now, the principal roles really require a lot of intensity, a lot of emotion. What kind of dancer um, would excel in, in a ballet like this? Well, I think the, the role of the mermaid, as you will see, is, is probably going to be one of the new great roles of the ballet world. It takes an artist who understands how to create an arc, we say, of a character, to create an entity which the audience will then be interested in for the entire uh, path of the life of that character. And for the women, it's, it's a really wonderful role. Um, it deals with the, our, our preconceptions of beauty because the mermaid is completely her own is beautiful in her own world. It's a little bit, I think, based on Anderson's feeling of himself. He was always kind of this outsider and understood that there was a beauty inside of him but didn't seem that in the normal rules it was kind of accepted. And this kind of ugly duckling theme also is, is prevalent in, in, I think, all of his stories. And, and the, um, the mermaid, of course, has to be quite uh, flexible, as you'll see, the role takes a lot of elasticity in the back. Um, but I think uh, a great artist uh, is needed. And uh, the role then also develops the artist. Uh, gives you, it gets a, gr a great cycle going. You know, you have a great artist and a great role, and the two give each other more. And it, it creates a wonderful sort of cycle of development. And uh, both casts here of the mermaid, I, I find, are, are unique. Never seen a mermaid like this one or like that one. Juan Juan and Sarah uh, been, have done a great job in, in taking the role and, and making it their own. And uh, um, the poet is a role which should be like a parallel to the mermaid. Of course, Anderson saw himself as the mermaid, I think. And... Um, the prince uh, is not, let's say, the most in-depth role. He's kind of a symbol of uh, the charming Boy Scout, you know, ta-ta-da, squeaky clean, 
because the, the tragedy of the story is uh, the reality was that uh, Anderson, who lived with this family, uh, there was a young man named Edvard. And Anderson, being a, a very lonely figure, I think, um, clung on to this Edvard who tolerated him. And I think they were friends. And Edvard met a girl and got married, as can happen. And I think Anderson felt the loss as a very sort of um, eccentric artist might. Uh, everything becomes a broad, broader feelings and he's more sensitive. And I think it, it broke his heart in a way to feel that he had lost this one friend in the world that he could share things with. And this is kind of the beginnings of the Little Mermaid story. So the mermaid, she finds this prince, and the prince is found by this princess, and the mermaid is sort of tragically overlooked by him as a true love figure. And the tragedy is that the prince is just such a nice guy. He's not evil, he's not malicious, he's not even thinking he's cheating on anybody. He's just like, well, this little mermaid, she's funny, and she's my buddy. And then there's this princess, and I guess I, guess I love her, and I'll get married you know and the princess is also the prince and the princess become in the ballet a sort of cut out characters because they're they're more symbols I think for Anderson of anything of, of what can happen to a creation you know so in the studio um, trying to bring out um, all the layers and all the intensity how how do you work with the dancers to try and get them to that place well, it's, it's always an, a wonderful experience to watch John, first of all, work with the dancers. He has the gift of communication, the gift of articulation to, to use a phrase or a visual uh, to, to explain to a dancer an emotion. I think one thing you should um, think about when you watch the ballet is that we're not telling a story. The, Dance is not being used to say, the mermaid went from this place to this place. Dancing is being used to say, while she was going there, this is what she felt. While they were in this situation, it's not a, the, the dance is not used for the historical date, fact, time. It's the poetry in between the lines. What were the characters feeling in that situation? What were they going through? How... how how uh, how were the emotions running? What temperature was it? And um, I lost my track. Well, because there's so much detail to this ballet. How do we sit, give it to yeah. him in the studio? There we go. Um, that uh, we, I mean, as a ballet master, I try to watch John always how he articulates to the dancers, and it's it's a matter of there's the practical side: point your foot, stretch your leg. The step should look like this, uh, but always for the purpose of this is the idea and this is what you're trying to say. The artist must be a great communicator and we have no words to use. We have our bodies and that takes training and muscles and sweat and bones and form, but inside the muscles, inside the form has to be filled and I think that's the the way we try to work. We try to, we start off, for example, even the, there's a fantastic sailor dance for 10 young men. And 
Very difficult counts, very difficult steps, very difficult stamina. We work on it, we work on it, but always at the same time, every day, always a correction about what is the main point, the extreme machoism that we want to communicate in this world. Anderson's not, let's say, realistic sailors, but Anderson's interpretation of what a sailor would be, maybe, without really knowing. He's a little bit afraid of this kind of macho world, and so the sailors end up being a little bit exaggerated and hyperactive because it's, if you imagine, coming out of his interpretation to you. Um, and so these are the kind of ideas that we try to instill in the dancers so they will understand also what they're doing, not just do what I say, but understand what it is you're trying to say, and then it becomes theirs. Then it, they take it on for themselves, that then their dancing can speak to you and not just look at my dancing, how pretty, how pretty. But with my dancing, I can say something to you that hopefully you can, you can say, oh, I remember something like that. Or That's called touching someone. When you watch something and it sets your mind or your emotions into something that maybe touches your life and you, you feel a connection with the people on the stage as, as fellow humans, not as the dancer the artist and the public but we're all but human to human well it's so beautifully crafted that the narrative is so clear and i think that's in all that detail and all that coaching that goes on it's it's really wonderful to behold well we have a few minutes and so i would like to open it up to any questions yes ma'am Um, because Lloyd ex uh, explained to us how the um, intent of the ballet is always evolving, things are changing, how has the role of the poet changed over time? Um, I could say even the role, having come to San Francisco to stage it, the process of staging it is the first time for me, actually. I, I learned the role and have been developing it, and this was the first time I actually had to teach somebody what I was doing and thinking and how to do the role. And that change of perspective has also already changed the role for me because suddenly I realized, oh, I have been doing things instinctually, but you have to explain it. <laughs> when you suddenly have to explain something in dance, it becomes clear because it's not just doing it. it, it um, the, the process, the poet has just, I think, for example, one big thing in the... There was no poet in the beginning of the second act. There's a big wedding scene in the second act, and uh, there was no poet. And always in my head, kind of felt like a little hole, because I'm so involved in the first act. And then suddenly, because in the ballet originally, he wasn't in the wedding until a certain moment. Um, and it's always been like a question of mine, maybe to ask John one day, until finally John actually came first to me and said, I think we need to put you into the wedding. <laughs> because we're sort of missing you. And, and so we worked on that actually in San Francisco on the dancers. That was developed here on the, on the dancers in San Francisco. And uh, it just, um, it's, it's a matter of rather than the book is written and then the book is published and that's the book. The wonderful thing about live performance is that it's written each night new. The dancer has to create this world every night new 
And so you have the opportunity to develop the role. Uh, John can say, you know, in this section, maybe a little softer dynamic here and then a hard moment here. It'll make the idea clearer. Let's give it a try. And so we go out and you try to do that. And, and the development basically means just the role becomes richer, becomes deeper, becomes clearer. The text becomes more understandable, I think, for you. Another question? Yes, sir. I think the question is, in 30 years from now, how would um, a ballet master recreate The Little Mermaid, let's say, especially when it evolves and changes based on who's participating? Well, as a ballet master, then it's my responsibility to record as best I can in a book, in writing. I have to imagine, okay, if nobody has seen the ballet, I need to write as clearly as possible. Um, there are some parts of the ballet. For example, I'm in charge of all the sailor dances. Well, I have, we have our list of counts from the musical score, and next to those counts, you write the steps as clearly as you can, and then you also write some ideas in the side, quotes of John that he said during rehearsals. You try to fill it with as much information as you can. Nowadays, we have video um, things, but video can never replace the living ballet master the passing down of, of the text of the ballet from one body to the next body because um, a video is also <clears throat> it, it, it's not a live performance you can't you, you will miss something you'll miss something of the humanity of the performance if you only stage what you see on a video because it is an artist and it is one moment in their life it isn't everything there is a it's not perfect, and it won't be. We're striving for the perfection, but it, it, it's never there. And that's not the point anyway. It's the striving, it's, the, it's the, the, the reaching for it, which I think is what you want to see. It's not the actual, like, ta-da, everything is settled and perfect. I think, I think it's the, yeah, the reaching, the reaching for the moment that is the interesting part about a living, live performance. Um, but we try in our best way to record it as best as possible to make that happen. The important thing is that uh, we're given opportunities to perform it continually throughout the years, and that has to do with finance and, you know, with support and everything. Well, we're so fortunate to have this production. It's just stunning, and I know everyone's going to really enjoy it this afternoon. We've run out of time, I'm afraid, but thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And enjoy the performance.